Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today is someone who, at the age of 50, committed to medical school. 10 years of further training before entering the workforce as a doctor. I was curious as to what persuaded him to make that commitment. My guest on the podcast today is James Gagley. Jim Gagley, you're very welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be speaking with you today. Now, I understand from our previous conversation that you are Ghanaian, that you came to the US when you were 24 years old and then went into pharmacy. Can you talk about what you were thinking about your career aspirations at the age of 24? Okay, so coming from Ghana uh, or growing up in Ghana, shall I say, uh, I grew up in a very rural area where uh, everything was scarce. Uh, we lived on subsistence farming. Healthcare was very poor. Children died from simple diseases, uh, malaria. People got injuries in the farm, tetanus, things like that. Uh, when a rainy season comes around and you're talking about typhus and uh, cholera, and I always wondered, why do people you know, just die without getting the care that they need. And then and sometimes the roads are bad to the point where when it rains, it gets flooded. And so you have to you have to wait to the floods recede before you go to the city to seek health care. And while you wait, as you well know, some of these diseases or uh, afflictions wouldn't wait for you. So people end up dying. So mortality rates were very, very low. And uh, I always wondered, uh, my grandfather was a herbalist, so he would, he, people would come to him and he would take care of them the best in that he knew. And I, I, I really enjoyed sitting by him and seeing how he was taking care of these uh, people who came. And so I was thinking, wow, this is, uh, this is something that I would like to do. But before then, when I was really, really young, I was really interested in how the body worked. And I think that must have stemmed from my dad's mechanical watches. And so I will put them, put it to my ears. Now hear the tick tock, tick tock. And at the same time, I discovered my heart rate. So for some reason, I thought watches were living things at the time. And so I opened them and see the balance wheel turning and I'll take it out. But only that I'm not able to put it back in. So I'll assume they are dead. So I'll bury them. So my, a, a good number of my dad's watches went into the grave. And, and so, you know, that's where it started. And then when I was a little bit old enough, uh, since we, we raised chickens and ducks on a farm, I was the one, the master butcher who took care of them. So I would meticulously look and see where everything was. Uh, so, you know, stemming from that, I knew that I really wanted to do something like that uh, growing up. But opportunities in Ghana was very, very scarce. And for somebody to go to medical school is because daddy has money and is able to pay their way off. I mean, and not everybody, but for the most part, somebody knows somebody. And me coming from a village uh, where I didn't know anybody, it was very difficult. So I set out to come to school here in the U.S. and go to medical school. But it was really expensive. I didn't have the, you know, the financial means. I was thinking I might get some scholarships, but I was too old at the time. So I decided if I go to pharmacy school, I will save some money and still stay in a health system 
And it will give me a chance to understand exactly how the health system in general and in very different uh, geographic areas, developing countries and developed countries work. And also be able to assess what it is uh, to have a standard health outcome based on national policies uh, of all these countries. And so I, that's how I chose pharmacy, which is my first love, by the way, because I learned a lot from that. That's amazing. You had a career, presumably, in pharmacy, and you practiced as a pharmacist for some years. I think you said 10 to 12 years before you went into medicine. Why, why not stay with pharmacy? Why did you decide that you really wanted to become a doctor? So when I was in pharmacy school, I used to go back to Africa for health or medical missions. And I would still go back to these areas that were underrepresented in terms of healthcare. And I noticed that there were a lot of disparities there. And there were very simple things that we could do to help. But when you're a pharmacist, there are so many things that you couldn't do because you're only there to observe. And when medications are passed off, you're able to talk to the patient about how to use them. So that was one of the things that I, I thought, well, if I can at least, after pharmacy, I've, at least I've done it for some time, I can go to medical school and then maybe do medical missions. I can make a difference. On top of that, in the U.S., one of the things I also noticed that while we spend our GDP probably is about 17 to 20 percent of what we put into, uh, uh, into healthcare, the healthcare delivery system, it's very, very, uh, you know, uh, disproportionately or uh, gives a lot of disadvantage to minority groups. And I, I noticed that a lot of my, the minority groups never really were able to get the standard care that they needed and coupled with it. And I know it's probably also coming from the socioeconomic and you know, health policies and things like that, healthcare delivery, access, things like that. And even if you have access, you have difficulties having all inclusive or diverse cultural sensitivity when you go to look for healthcare or you go to seek health in a hospital. And also in pharmacy school education, I noticed that a lot of the teachings, they will say things that I will ask myself, say for a CPR class, for example, they will say, oh, the person's lips will be black and blue. And then I will ask, well, if that person has the dark skin, how do you figure out? And they will sometimes brush it off. One of the big ones was we're talking about Lyme disease. And as you all know, that bull's eye rash will occur or show up within a few days after the infection. And they will tell you this is how the ring looks like. And I will say, if the person is really dark, how do you, you know, diagnose that? And they will be like, oh, that's difficult. But we know that a timeline between that, that bull's eye appearing and the treatment, it's such an important you know, time. So those things really led me think that, okay, sometimes some of these uh, issues are as a result of the misrepresentation of the minority groups in the healthcare system itself. And also healthcare system here has a very long history of mistrust between minorities and the healthcare uh, providers. So I forget if I am going to be one of those who will make a difference. 
And in the pharmacy, I noticed that the uh, people will come in who have different things. Somebody might be on AC inhibitor and be coughing, and it's a dark skinned person, and you know, they won't take it. And I'll ask, Have you been taking this medication? And I call for all night. I said, You talk to your doctor? I said, No. I said, The blood pressure, what do you think? He said, It's trending up. I'll be, so I'll be like, Okay, I'll call the doctor and try to talk to him and say if it could be changed. Uh, I will have people have maybe cardio surgery Friday evening. Doctor will write prescriptions for them. Very expensive, copay expensive. It's on a top tier. They come in, copay 500, say, say, um, Zerelto, for example. They won't afford it. You know, if this patient stays home over the weekend, they're going to end up back in the hospital and it's more cost. And so I will try to call the doctor and see if we can. And I, you know, do some change. And it will take me forever. And we're talking about Friday evening. And so I ask myself, you know, if this doctor would have just called or have somebody on nurse, somebody called the insurance to make sure that that medication was going to be covered before they wrote it, then it would have just gone through, you know. And uh, those are some of the things that I thought if I became a physician and I was writing a prescription, a simple thing like that will go a long way because there are so many people who go through that experience. Um, sometimes the medications themselves or medication records are not complete. So I have to find out what they're taking over the counter in addition and run all the interactions. And then I'll call the doctor. I'll be like, oh, I didn't know they were taking this medication, which I would think if you're going to admit the patient, you want to know everything they're taking. And sometimes I know recall bias can be a problem for patients as well. So I will ask most of my patients to keep a list, at least, so that when they're going to the doctor, they can send it over so the doctor can see everything they're taking before he writes anything for them. It sounds, Jim, like you were making an enormous difference to patients just by being a pharmacist, because you were able to identify from the people who came to the counter that they were their treatment wasn't optimal. But... You did that for 10 to 12 years as a pharmacist, and then you decided that you would go to medical school and make a commitment to medical school at, a, at an age where you were, I'm sure, a lot older than the average medical student. Talk a little bit about that. Why would somebody at your age decide that they want to commit to years of service and what is a very inequitable healthcare system? Thank you for your question. Personally, service is one of the things that makes me breathe. I get an awe when I see that smile on a patient's face or, you know, their improvement is really incremental. So they come to you, they're really, really ill. You help them, you do follow-up calls, you check on the medications they're taking, go over it, make sure they're taking it right. If there is any uh, side effects, it's always service. And in a pharmacy, I have my crew that I work with, and I always tell them that when somebody comes in here, Regardless of what you're going through, you, they come here to get a service. So you want to give them a stellar service so that when they leave here, they can remember that. But also, how good is medication and treatment if the patient doesn't understand or doesn't trust the person who is giving that? And so I realized that to serve, and as I said earlier, back at home, a lot of these healthcare systems are almost non-existent. So I was thinking, well, I have worked my way in pharmacy, saved enough, 
uh, at this point, I'm really not. Yeah, you can always use the remuneration you get from the work you do. But for me, if the remuneration is a consequence or the outcome of the good service, so I put the good service that I can give my patients first. And I figured if I went to medical school, I'll be able to do more because now I understand the pharmacy side of it. I understand enough of insurance, co-pays, co-insurances. If I'm here in the U.S., there's a lot I can do. If I go to Africa, there's also a lot I can do to, for little things that I can do. Even if I can put up groups that can go to areas that I identify as places that need a particular type of help maybe endemic to something or facilitate some research. Because as you well know, most clinical trials are also not very representative of the population. Uh, COVID had really pushed that out. If, if, if you look at all the data out there uh, in the U.S., the NIH came out with mandates to include the most vulnerable page, patients who happen to be the minority into all these uh, clinical trials so that the outcome will be a much more representative. But at the same time, the distrust that exists in addition to a, co- a whole lot of other problems makes it more difficult. So for me, I feel like I can do a whole lot more if I went to med- medical school and also couple for the fact that I'm not really thinking about retiring. You know, So even if I'm, I live long enough to be 89 or 88 or 85, you know, if I, so that's going to be, 15, 20 years that I can give to help that little kid live and maybe see my dream a lot sooner than I am seeing it. That's, a, you know, that for me, that's a plus. Now, medical school is one of the most grueling courses that you can do. I mean, we've had this, we're having this conversation late in your evening after you've had a, a grueling day learning medicine. And here you are talking as enthusiastically about medicine as you would have been talking about it when you went into medical school. But what is the personal cost to you for doing this course? Apart from the financial cost of going to medical school, what are the other costs and do you count them or, or how do you regard them? Personally, the cost will be the time that I put into it. But when I look at the outcome, I feel joyful that I will be able to do something to help. So at this point, it's not so much of a monetary. That's why I went to pharmacy school to be able to save enough to eventually go to farm, uh, to go to medical school. In terms of grueling, you're very right. Medical school is like drinking from a fire hydrant while hand walking. <laughs> that is my description. But I have been through my whole life, I've been very resilient. When I was a pharmacist, I worked hours, hours, hours. And I understand the burnout. I also understand uh, the risk of making mistakes when you're too tired and not concentrating, missing things. Because every medication you touch is a potential risk for the patient who is going to take it. But I, pharmacy had taught me a lot of work. It's also kind of pressured kind of environment where you have to think fast and phones are ringing. If you're the pharmacist there, you listen to uh, the interactions between your the patients and your your crew, the phone is ringing, you're looking on the screen, you're doing so many other things, you're waiting for a call from the doctor to check on a medication. But I also worked a lot. I have worked for 134 days straight without a single day off. 
long hours. I listened to audiobook, long drives. Uh, so I felt like with all the experience I have from pharmacy school, the grueling nature of medical school, it's there, but it's a little bit manageable for me. And also with my experience as a pharmacist and things that I learned in school, I can still bring that into medical school to make it a little easier. It, it's all about what I will be able to fit in or use as a help while I'm, while I'm uh, studying. How do your family feel about that? Do you have a partner? Do you have children? Yes, my family is very supportive about it. They've always, I've always told them that's what I wanted to do. And they've always supported. It's a little bit harder on the children, but I always keep up with them as much as I can because they need that, <laughs> you know, and I need that too. So I try to strike the balance, uh, go home whenever I can to see them and they come uh, to see me whenever they can. So I would say that's the biggest challenge, but we find a way around it, I would say. So which year of medical school are you in now? So I am in my second year now. How long before they let you loose on the public? Uh, by the end of December, I should be done. It's a little bit accelerated. So by the end of December, I should be done. And then by I plan to write my uh, USMLE 1 by uh, April-ish. And then I'll start my clinicals after that. And how long is the clinical training? Clinical training is uh, about a year and a half. And then uh, you... And then you go into your residency after that, or even a little bit less. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because it's not just medical school. It's beyond medical school. If you want to do family medicine or you want to be a specialist or you want to be a public health clinician, you will need extra training after that. How do you face that prospect? In terms of what I really want to do, I was looking more for public health and uh, maybe looking more also into uh, public health policy, epidemiology things like that, because I, I think if I want to go back to Africa, those are the things that I probably need to be able to make more of a difference. So I, I understand it's going to be very grueling, a lot of work. You're the last to leave the early to raise. But I know I have gone through that for over 10 years, but I find ways to improve my mental space and also my physical fitness, and also my social you know, health you know, with family and friends. So I try to strike the balance as much as I can, because I, I feel that those are the things that are going to be able to push me through when I get on the grueling part of the medical uh, education. So if you look forward to the next 10 years, 10 years from now, how do you see yourself in that at that time, what do you see yourself doing? Where do you see yourself living? Ten years from now, I, I'm thinking about finding something in Africa, be malaria, which is one of the biggest ones. As the middle class is growing, you're also seeing a lot of the metabolic syndromes coming up because of lifestyle, food, things like that are changing in a way that is creating some health issues. So my goal is to be able to pick some of those very problems that are cropping up, whether malaria or metabolic syndrome, or maybe breast cancer, for example, for women, because that's one of the biggest areas also where there's disparity between minorities when it comes to healthcare delivery 
you know, mammogram, assess, things like that, to see how best I'll be able to help. So I'm looking more in, or into the primary level, but also on a population level in much of the rural. Ten years from now, probably I'll be in Ghana or somewhere in Africa, uh, looking into much more rural. If I'm in the U.S., I probably will go into rural areas and or inner cities that are underrepresented. I think that's my uh, main interest. And how are you finding medical school generally? Do you find that it is a challenge, given probably most of the students are a lot younger than you are? So how are you finding that as a as a cultural change? Yeah. So yeah, my uh, friends, the cultural change is quite uh, dramatic. But I am somebody who is very personable. So I can relate to a child two years old and I can relate to somebody much, much older than me. I also help children in that age and even older adults who are veterans. In medical school, the age is different. And so I believe some of my brain cells are already dead. But I try to keep up. Uh, I keep groups with them. They have things that they bring to the table. And I have things that I bring to the table with the pharmacy background because my experience in medication, standard of care, algorithm treatment algorithms, things like that, lab tests, interactions, pharmacology, mechanism of actions, and things like that. Those are the things that I, I bring to the table. And they are also able to bring newer things like how they manage to study certain things mnemonics, things like that. So I think it's a, uh, you know, a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> Is there ever a moment you think in the day when you regret what you're doing and you think it would have been so much easier just to be a pharmacist and to be working in a nice leafy suburb somewhere in Manhattan? That's right. So the first time I went to Grenada, my first exam, I didn't do well. <laughs> So I asked myself, what did I get my head into? You know, I should have been back in you know, the U.S. and just working away uh, and being with family. And I, that, that hits me pretty hard. But I also know that nothing comes easy. Challenges are always going to be there. The way you actually manage it is the most important thing. And that's why it's very important to make sure that you're able to keep your mental space healthy. And by so doing, you're able to better manage these challenges because they're always going to come. One day you feel like you're on top of the material and the next day you'll be like, oh, did I just go to Greek class or, you know, what, what, what's the take home message? You know, so you go back and forth like that. But also, I think uh, one of the important things that I learned growing up is the ability to manage your time efficiently. So personally, I don't have to go out and party or go to the beach. I might go more for mental space, but I can I try to manage my time so that my study time becomes a priority, uh, but also find time to decompress so that I don't burn out. And I try to be in as in tune with myself as I can so that when I I can when I feel like I am going down or um, I'm getting burnt out, I can figure out a way to bring myself up. So I call it as I have in innate uh, spirometer. So I want to see when the, <laughs> the colors are going yellow and they try to uh, take that steroids, uh, you know, before uh, they get into the reds. <laughs> so 
I mean, basically, that's uh, that's how I look at it. I mean, that's how I've been managing. Jim Gagley, you're an extraordinary person. Your vocation is clear. Your commitment is unquestionable. We wish you all the very best in your career. I am confident, as I'm sure many of our listeners, that you will make a difference. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been so great talking to you. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.